Tonight we turn to 2 Samuel 15. We'll read the first 18 verses and then afterwards we'll read Psalm 3. Second Samuel 15, beginning at verse 1. And it came to pass after this that Absalom prepared him chariots and horses and 50 men to run before him. And Absalom rose up early and stood beside the way of the gate. And it was so that when any man that had a controversy came to the king for judgment... Then Absalom called unto him and said, Of what city art thou? And he said, Thy servant is of one of the tribes of Israel. And Absalom said unto him, See, thy matters are good and right, but there is no man deputed of the king to hear thee. Absalom said moreover, O that I were made judge in the land, and that every man which hath any suit or cause might come unto me, and I would do him justice. And it was so that when any man came nigh to him to do him obeisance, he put forth his hand and took him and kissed him. And on this manner did Absalom to all Israel that came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. And it came to pass after 40 years that Absalom said unto the king, I pray thee, let me go and pay my vow, which I have vowed unto the Lord in Hebron. For thy servant vowed a vow while I abode at Geshur in Syria, saying, If the Lord shall bring me again indeed to Jerusalem, then I will serve the Lord. And the king said unto him, Go in peace. So he arose and went to Hebron. But Absalom sent spies throughout all the tribes of Israel, saying, As soon as ye hear the sound of the trumpet, then ye shall say, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And with Absalom went two hundred men out of Jerusalem that were called, and they went in their simplicity, and they knew not anything. And Absalom sent for Ahithophel the Gilonite, David's counselor from his city, even from Gilo, while he offered sacrifices. And the conspiracy was strong, for the people increased continually with Absalom. And there came a messenger to David saying, The hearts of the men of Israel are after Absalom. And David said unto all his servants that were with him at Jerusalem, Arise, and let us flee, for we shall for we shall not else escape from Absalom. Make speed to depart, lest he overtake us suddenly and bring evil upon us and smite the city with the edge of the sword. And the king's servants said unto the king, Behold, thy servants are ready to do whatsoever my lord the king shall appoint. And the king went forth and all his household after him. And the king left ten women, which were concubines, to keep the house. And the king went forth, and all the people after him that tarried in a place that was far off, and all his servants passed on beside him, and all the Cherethites, and all the Pelethites, 
and all the Gittites, 600 men, which came after him from Gath, passed on before the king. And now let's turn to Psalm 3. Having just read 2 Samuel 15, an account of David fleeing Absalom. And now we have Psalm 3, a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. Selah. I laid me down and slept. I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for thou hast smitten all mine enemies upon the cheekbone. Thou hast broken the teeth of the ungodly. Salvation belongeth unto the Lord. Thy blessing is upon thy people. Selah. Thus far we read God's holy and inspired word. The text for the sermon, verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 3. I laid me down and slept, I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, the great reformer John Calvin called the book of Psalms, the anatomy of every part of the soul. And that's true. Because when you read through the Psalms, every one of them, in one way or another, touches on some part of our Christian living and our Christian experience. The ups and the downs, soaring on the hilltops of faith, or whether there be those times when we are plowing through in the valleys of despair. Well, tonight's psalm, Psalm 3, is the kind of a psalm that you go to and you meditate in a time of personal crisis. The heading of the psalm identifies it as a psalm of David when he fled from Absalom, his son. And so David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, wrote down the words of this psalm, in a moment of great despair, when his own son betrayed him, his own flesh and blood was trying to steal and for a time succeeded in stealing the throne of Israel. And his own son sought to take his father's life. And so David fled. It was a hard time. Very difficult time for David, a time of persecution, a time of personal crisis. Now, maybe tonight you don't feel that instant connection 
with Psalm 3. You might not feel that this is your experience, the agony of what David is going through, his cries for deliverance, having to run away from his own son who is out to take his life. But then you store this psalm away because there will be some time in your life, more than likely many times, but there will be at least one time in your life when you do face a crisis so that you come to this psalm and you receive the comfort that David received and the comfort only that God can give. And that comfort that God gives is sweet and wonderful. The comfort that God gives is rest and tranquility amidst all the agitation and the restlessness and the worry and the anxiety of life. God gives Peace. It's a kind of peace where you can go to bed at night and you can sleep well so that no matter the trouble, no matter the enemy, no matter the affliction, we have rest in our souls so that because, as verse 5 says, because we know that the Lord sustains me. I call your attention to verses 5 and 6 of Psalm 3. We take as our theme, peaceful sleep and personal crisis. Let's look at the occasion for this. Secondly, the reason for this. And finally, the comfort. Peaceful sleep and personal crisis. The personal crisis that David was experiencing at this time was that David was a fugitive. For decades, David had been king. He was the man after God's own heart. David had God's covenant and God's kingdom and God's glory in mind. He was a warring king, and, David, and God used David and his mighty men to, to conquer and to subdue all of Israel's enemies, and God blessed David greatly, gave him the kingdom, gave him riches, gave him honor and the respect of the people. But now at this time... David is a fugitive. To be a fugitive means that he was running away. He was running away from danger, running away from his own son, Absalom. And we learn the history of that in 2 Samuel 15 that we read. For a long time now, Absalom had been spying the throne. Absalom during this time had been stealing the hearts of the people so that Absalom would stand by the gate of the palace, and when the people came to bring those, their matters to the king, then Absalom would pull them aside, and he would say, what's your complaint? And after hearing their complaint, he would say, but don't you know that there's nobody the king has who is commissioned to hear your complaint, and nobody will render judgment to your cause, leaving them with the impression that their cause was hopeless and that there would be no justice for them. But then Absalom says, Oh, that I were made a judge in the land, and then I would do justice for the people. And in so doing, month after month, and perhaps even year after year, Absalom, with his good looks, with his confident personality, with his charisma, with his charm, he gains the favor of the people, and many people 
follow after him. And then finally the day came where Absalom gives the command to to sound the trumpets. He tells the men that when you hear the sound of the trumpet to shout out, Absalom reigneth in Hebron. And when that shout went forth, David caught wind of it and he knew what that meant. And David knows that Absalom has finally made good on all of his plotting on all of his scheming to become king. And David knows that he must leave, he must flee Jerusalem, because Absalom and his men are coming to steal the throne and even to take their very lives. This was David's personal crisis. And David expresses as much in Psalm 3, there at the beginning of the psalm, verse 1, How are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. As if David has his eyes and he sees off in the distance the dust arising from the cloud of of Absalom and his men uh, coming against Jerusalem to take over the kingdom. And then verse 2 of Psalm 3, Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. And that's often a tactic that the enemy uses to point to the one in whom we trust and in whom we place our confidence and to say, you trust in him, but there's no help there. There's no deliverance in that one you worship. That was the same tactic and those were the same words that were leveled against good King Hezekiah when the general of the Assyrian army came against Jerusalem and he shouts out outside the walls of Jerusalem, shouting out to the people, do you think your God can help you? Do you think that the gods of the other nations could help them when the Syrians came against them? And what makes you think that your God is any different? And now the enemies of David say the same thing to him. And we may assume that these enemies, they knew David personally, and that's how they could aim that arrow right at his heart and right at his relationship to his God. Many there be which say of my soul that there is no help for him in God. And we know that David's enemies are many, which means that his trouble is great. They mock his confession of God. They would have David think that there's no help for him in Jehovah God. And now David has to run, fleeing for his very life. And this is the personal crisis that David is going through, and he cries out unto God. Well, what about us? What about the crises that we go through? We don't have to have the exact experience that David had to be able to relate to his personal crisis, although it might very well be the case that a member of your own family turns against you. That's not at all uncommon in the life of God's people, whether it be a husband or a wife, maybe some close family member. 
and you receive hurt from that person who speaks evil of you, taunts you in your good confession, trying to make you doubt God's faithfulness, to question his providential control over all things, and that's a very difficult personal crisis when the members of our own household and family would rise up against us. But then to all of the other different types of crises that we would go through in life, those times in life when you simply feel at your wit's end overwhelmed because of all of the responsibility, weary because of all the labor, working to support the family and barely getting by. There'd be as mothers taking care of all of the children when each child needs your full-time attention. Maybe it's the case that the Lord has taken a loved one in death, a loved one we could never imagine life without that person. And now because of this personal crisis, life becomes hard. Life becomes painful. It's hard even looking others in the eye and all you can do is sigh and moan and groan. Those are the types of personal crises that we go through as God's people. But then even that, that doesn't speak to the main crisis that we go through. We haven't listed the greatest personal crisis yet. The greatest personal crisis that we go through is not when a family member turns against us is not when we become sick and our life becomes one of perpetual pain in the body, not to minimize or disparage those situations. God gives us grace to stand and to endure and to confess his name in the midst of those trials. But the greatest personal crisis that you and I could ever experience is that crisis of sin and the guilt of sin. The greatest personal crisis that a man could ever experience is standing before a just and holy God in his sins. Look at Psalm 3 and read verses 1 and 2 from that point of view from the point of view of the enemy of sin. Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they be that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him. There is no help for him of God. And, And isn't that what sin does? Sin is that which rises up against us. It is as a a great enemy coming against us to beat us and to devour us and to make us slaves and bondmen. And then not simply one sin, but many, many there be that rise up against me, which shows us the manifold danger that there is of of guilt, uh, of, of sin, the guilt of sin, the shame of sin, the corruption of sin. And then you add on top of that the devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh, the personal crisis of having that knowledge of of to stand before a just and holy God who hates sin and the sinner so long as 
without, apart from his grace and apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. And so David's personal crisis is a picture of the crises that we as the children of God experience in so many different ways, the hurt, the losses, the betrayal, the times when we feel enslaved to sin and we cry out unto God, O Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many there be that rise up against me. And now at this point in the psalm, something remarkable takes place. At this point in the psalm, something uh, altogether wonderful and astounding takes place in the midst of one of the most difficult and dangerous crises in the life of David. What does David do? Well, he does something that might altogether baffle us. David goes to sleep. That's what we read in Psalm 5. Verse 5. I laid me down and slept. David, speaking of this personal crisis, having to run away for his life, I laid me down and slept. Now that goes contrary to our natural thinking. We might say about David, David, it's a time of danger. David, your enemies are rising up against you. They are setting themselves in battle array and they're seeking your life. David, at a time like this, in your most vulnerable hour, David, do anything else except lay yourself down and go to sleep. Now let's understand this properly. When David says, I laid me down and slept, do not understand this as as David having this kind of an attitude. Well, what happens, happens. No sense in getting worked up about things that I can't control. No sense in losing sleep in matters that are out of my hands. Can't do anything about it anyways, so I guess I'll just go to sleep. No. That's not the attitude of David. That's called stoicism. That's assuming an attitude of indifference towards those things that are outside of our control. That's not the perspective of the Christian. But here we see David wholeheartedly trusting in the God of his salvation. David knew that he was safe. He knew that he was secure. And so David could lay himself down and enjoy peaceful sleep. Sleep is a good gift that God has given unto man. That's easy to abuse sleep and to use sleep as an escape when we can't handle the stress of life. But nonetheless, sleep is designed by God for a good purpose. Sleep means that our strength has been spent and we must be renewed. Sleep means that our minds have become weary and we must be refreshed. Sleep means that our bodies have gotten exhausted and then that necessarily means that that sleep, it, it tells us that our bodies, that, that we have limitations. 
It means that we are dependent upon another to keep us alive. Because in sleep we are entirely passive. We don't do anything. We don't work. But we must be sustained by another. So keep that in mind this evening. In a few hours, when you lay your heads down to go to sleep, think of what you are about to do. You're going to end your activities. You're going to cease your conversations. You're going to lay the full weight of your body on an object that you believe will hold you up and you will abandon all your own strength while you trust in that something else to support you while you are unable to hold and to take care of yourself. And now notice in Psalm 3 that by verse 5 that David's situation hasn't changed a bit. It's not as if God strikes Absalom down, and now David says, ah, the danger is gone. I can go to sleep. No, David's situation hasn't changed a bit. His situation is still the same. He's still in exile. He's still fleeing. He's being persecuted. His situation hasn't changed, but his perspective has. His perspective is the perspective of faith, so that David, laying himself down to sleep, this is the fruit of his resting and trusting in the God of his salvation. His laying himself down to sleep is the physical expression of what has first taken place spiritually, that he rests in God and that he has enjoyed peace in his soul. And that faith of David is tied to the word of God. As we noticed this morning, faith is always tied to the word of God. The confidence of faith is, is securely tied to the word of God, bound to the promises of God, and anchored to that faithfulness of God so that David, abandoning all his own strength, David rests upon the faithfulness of God to uphold him, to keep him to preserve him, and therefore David is able to lay himself down in peaceful sleep. Literally? Do we understand this literally? And yes, David is able to sleep well at night, knowing that God will sustain him even during his sleep and awaken him at the proper moment but then also spiritually, so that in all our lives, our lives may be characterized by peace as we trust in the God of our salvation. And that becomes the reason, the reason why David is able to lay himself down in sleep is what we read of in verse 5. I laid me down and slept. I awake. And this is the reason why, for the Lord sustained me. Physical sleep is a picture of our absolute and complete dependence 
upon Jehovah God to keep us and to preserve us. And David expresses that spiritual truth when he says, for the Lord sustained me. And that's what the word sustain means. It means to hold up, to sustain another. So that David in his faith confesses, this is what God has done for me. God has held me up. God has supported me. And David saying this not simply during the physical process of sleeping, but being supported and upheld from being overcome by all his enemies. And notice that in the previous two verses, in verses 3 and 4, David confesses how Jehovah God has sustained him, how Jehovah has held him up. In verse 3, But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory, the lifter up of mine head. I cried unto the Lord with my voice, and he heard me out of his holy hill. So that the answer to David's personal crisis, as we learn from verse 3 and following, really was to confess the character and the identity of God. That's what comforted David. That's what gave him strength to know God and to know God as he really and truly is. And here's a truth that when we are in the midst of suffering and agony, when the devil would come to us and tempt us and have us only focus on the circumstances of life, but here God's word compels us to turn to God and to meditate on his perfections, on who he is, And what he has done for us. That's of good comfort and cheer for God's people. And then verse 3. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me. This is who God is. He is a shield for us. A shield is that which defends you and keeps you safe from the arrows of the enemy. And God is not simply a shield that defends us on one side so that the other side of us is open to attack. But God is a shield unto us as a shield round about us so that no matter what direction the enemy attacks, there God is as our shield to defend us and to preserve us. Thou art my glory, the lifter up of mine head. And this is all all military talk. God lifts up our head which implies that by nature our heads are down in sorrow and we are looking down to the ground. From our perspective, a low drooping head is a sign of defeat and a sign of giving up, but an uplifted head is the posture of victory. Jehovah God lifts up mine head in battle so that we see him. And we see the author of our salvation and that we are victorious in him and therefore the Lord only is my glory. And then verse 4 goes on, I cried unto the Lord with my voice and he heard me out of his holy hill so that David has cried out unto the Lord and David has received that answer from the Lord and the answer of Jehovah God really was was himself, his being, his attributes, his power, 
his glory. And as God draws David's attention to himself as God, powerful and almighty, well, that explains verse 5. How could David lay himself down in sleep? How could David enjoy peaceful sleep in the midst of personal crisis? It's because he knows God. Strong, powerful, mighty, faithful to all his promises. God knows the faithfulness of what God has done in the past. And that faithfulness of God has an effect of David in the present, in the midst of his current crises. And David knows that God will defend him and give him the victory over all his enemies. A good lesson for us in the midst of our personal crises. Because there are times in our lives, maybe right now is that time for you. But when you reeled backwards because of the pain and the agony, when your mind was swimming in confusion and pain and agony, whether it was because of what somebody else was doing unto you or even because of your own sins, and that's a time to look back when those times have occurred in our lives, to look back on all those times that the Lord has helped you to look back on all of those times when, when we felt that we, that we were this close. We were this close to the edge. But then God pulled us back. When we were almost finished. And when we had altogether given up and God rescued us. Those are times in our lives and every one of us can testify having a time like that, whether it was during a sickness and we felt our life was about to end or experiencing a loss of a family, a very hurtful injury. But after God brought us through, we breathed a sigh of relief and we exclaimed, except for the Lord, except for the Lord, the Lord kept me. And those are moments that we as God's children, we treasure. And we, we love those moments when we remember the faithfulness of God in our personal crises. And this is what David is doing in the psalm when he says, I cried with my voice, I laid me down and slept, I awaked, for the Lord sustained me. But now we can be even more specific on how David can lay himself down and enjoy peaceful sleep because the Lord sustains him yes absolutely but even more because the Lord sustains him through the Lord Jesus Christ because this cry of David in the psalm this is not first and foremost David's cry this is not even first and foremost your cry and my cry but this is a messianic psalm. This is the cry of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's Christ who cries out, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God. 
And we know the time that Jesus faced, especially that circumstance when he was crucified on the cross of Calvary. And the Pharisees and the Jews came round about with all the people. Matthew chapter 27. He trusted in God. Let God deliver him now if God will have him. Let him come down from the cross and then we will believe in him that he is the Son of God. But it's Christ who cries unto his Father. And his Father hears him out of his holy hill. Christ prays unto God and God hears the the prayer of his Son. That's what we read. And that's what Jesus says as he stands outside the grave of Lazarus, ready to raise Lazarus. Jesus looks up and says, Father, I thank thee that thou hast heard me, and I know that thou hearest me always. It's Christ who laid himself down and slept in the death of the cross and then awaked For the Lord sustained him. It's Christ who is not afraid of ten thousands that set themselves against him. So that this psalm, Psalm 3, is a psalm whereby David expresses a hope and a longing for the coming of the Messiah. The Messiah who would come and deliver him from all his enemies And then this becomes a confession on the part of David whereby he knew that he would be delivered. Not simply from his physical enemies, not simply from Absalom, but he knew that he would be delivered from his own sins, his own corruption, delivered from the attacks of the evil one. David was confident in his faith that salvation was in God alone. And that he would be delivered and that God's people would be preserved. And David could lay himself down in peaceful sleep. And so people of God, if you've ever brought into such a trouble as David was brought here, and it's really not a matter of if you are ever brought into a state of personal crises, but, but when it pleases the Lord to bring that kind of a situation in your life, then know this, that this is first of all a trouble that the Lord Jesus Christ has first experienced. And whatever the trouble is, whatever the personal crisis, it's a trouble that Christ has first experienced and a difficulty that he has overcome. And therefore we can go on in life assured that no matter the personal crisis, no matter the pain, No matter the rejection of men, no matter the anxiety, it will not overcome me. My sins will not have their way with me because of the Lord Jesus Christ. He was despised and rejected of men. He is the one who arose victorious and meditating upon Christ. Then like David, we lay ourselves down and enjoy peaceful sleep. And the comfort then is not only that we have complete confidence now that the Lord is with me, that he sustains me, that he keeps me, but we have all the confidence in the world as we look ahead in the future 
anticipating whatever it pleases the Lord to put in my pathway, but this we know, that we will not be afraid. And that's what David confesses, that the Lord has sustained him. And then verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people that have set themselves against me round about. David will not be afraid not only of the tens of thousands that may be with Absalom coming against him, but even of whatever army in the future that would come against him, whatever personal crisis may enter into his life, a crisis of ten thousands of people against him, David says, no, I'm not going to be afraid because he's enjoyed that peaceful sleep that only the Lord can provide and, and David knows the Lord will go with him in the future and that God will be faithful to all his promises and therefore David says, I will not fear. I will not be afraid. Do you imagine that? A life without fear? No, the Bible does not say a life without personal crisis. That's not something that the Lord promises that he will keep those hard and difficult times out of your life. But this he does promise, a life without fear. And what is that fear centrally? Well, Hebrews, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 2 verse 15, that Christ came to deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetimes subject to bondage. Who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. And that's a description of you and me as we are by nature. Fearing death. Fearing that judgment, that righteous judgment of God against sinners whose sins are not covered in the blood of Jesus Christ. Guilty. That is some fear. That is the fear of everlasting damnation. That is the fear of being in one's sin and subject to bondage. And Christ came to deliver us from that fear and to replace that fear of death with the happiness and joy of life, of knowing God. And of knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and my Savior, who laid down his life that I may enjoy life and enjoy it more abundantly, a life whereby we enjoy peace with God and peace with our Savior. So that when the Lord does send that crisis into our lives, then what we need to do is, in our faith, we we rehearse in our minds all that the Lord has done for me in the past, how he has kept me, he has preserved me, when from my point of view I was altogether lost, but the Lord kept me, he held me up, and therefore I may have all the confidence in the world that as God was faithful in the past, so is he the same God now, faithful to all of his word, faithful to all of his promises, 
to keep me, to preserve me, and to bring me all the way to the end, to everlasting glory. Trust in the Lord, be of good courage, and enjoy that peaceful sleep. Not only at night, but then in all your lives as you rest peacefully in the hands of your Heavenly Father. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank thee for thy word, thankful for the peace that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ who has broken down that middle wall of partition so that we may have access unto the throne of grace and enjoy that peace that passes all understanding. We pray for grace in every trial and every circumstance of life that we would not be overcome with despair, that we would not fret, that we would not look upon the faces of men, but that we would look upon the Lord Jesus Christ and know that we are safe in him and that we may proceed in life without fear, knowing that thou art our shield, thou art our defender, and thou art the lifter up of our heads. Go with us. The remainder of this Sabbath day, strengthen us to even keep the remainder of this Sabbath day holy to the glory of thy name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.